I'm Emily Rendell-Watson, and this is Taproot Edmonton Presents Igniting Innovation. I'm here with Zach Storms, founder of Startup TNT. Hi, Zach. Hi, Emily. As I mentioned in the first episode, Zach will be joining me throughout this series as a color commentator of sorts as I learn more about the tech innovation sector in Edmonton. But before we dive in this week, Startup TNT just announced the top five companies who will pitch during its investment summit in November. So, Zach, who are they? You know, we got five great companies. We got two medical device companies, one Mach 32, literally just incorporated this year, you know, using an invention to help with doctors during the pandemic. We've got another one called True Angle that just launched their product last month. And then we've got a B2B SaaS company called Resume Free, who's participated in the summit before and has now progressed. And they're disrupting the HR space. We've got a media company called Story City that helps artists tell creative stories about their communities. And finally, we've got a food company called Uproot Foods that helps uh, small producers compete head-to-head with the established players. And what I am really excited about, Emily, is that three of these companies are participants in our first summit. They didn't quite make it to the finals last time, but they're back. They've matured. They've grown. And now the investors are a little more excited about them. So I'm really happy to see what's going to play out over the next few weeks. Wow, that sounds like a lot of great ideas, and I'm excited to hear more about each of them. I'm going to be actually talking to at least one of those companies in this podcast series, so stay tuned for that. But before I get too far ahead of myself, this week we're looking at Edmonton's larger tech innovation landscape. So the challenges, standout contributors, the benefits of innovating in this city, and a lot more. Joining me is Ashlyn Bernier, the Chief Operating Officer of Samdesk, and Chris Labossier, owner of Altitude Investments. Hello. 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 So I want to start off with hearing a little bit about who each of you are, what your background is, and what your connection is to the tech innovation sector. So Ashlyn, do you want to start? I would love to. My name is Ashlyn Bernier. I am currently Chief Operating Officer at Samdesk, so Edmonton-based technology startup. My background in the sector probably stems back to I ran the venture mentoring service at the U of A for a few years and caught the bug of entrepreneurship. And I've been in operational roles in startups in Edmonton, spent a year in Halifax as well ever since. I also, about two years ago, co-founded ECOS, the Edmonton Advisory Council on Startups. I'm still a co-chair there until the end of 2020. And I've also just joined the board of the new innovation entity, still being formed to be named as well. Okay. And Chris, how did you get involved in the tech innovation sector and what do you do now? Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Chris Labossier. I'm the uh, founder and controlling shareholder and CEO of a company called Altitude Investments Limited, which is a really a, an investment and holding company. And it's probably through the founding of a software application and company that we had started in 2002, kind of as a hobby business, and eventually into 2006 when we incorporated the company that largely became known Yardstick Software in uh, in Edmonton, which was an application that was originally developed to deliver exams online and eventually to deliver training online. And we grew that business over the course of about 13, 14 years in Edmonton and got very involved in the ecosystem, you know, for that reason to connect with the rest of the participants in Edmonton that were doing similar things. 
And subsequently, you know, I served as a board member of Edmonton Economic Development and then became founding co-chair of Startup Edmonton when that organization was just kind of kicking off and eventually also had the opportunity to serve on the board of Tech Edmonton. So I've served on the, on the board side of a number of the agencies that are in the ecosystem, but mostly my experience comes from building a software company in uh, in Edmonton, of which we've done a divestiture of about half of that. All of our professional testing assets we sold off and uh, continue to own our online training business, which is now called We Know Training. So safe to say you've been involved for a long time. When did Edmonton actually start having a tech innovation community? Like what would be the marker in time or event that you noticed? I, I go back to the very first demo camp that I ever attended, it was in the University of Alberta. It was, I think, in the business building in the basement. I can't remember. And Mac Mail and Ken Batista and Cam Linky hosted it, I think. And it was about 20 to 25 software-oriented entrepreneurs or developers sharing stories about things that they're building. And and I remember going to that event. That was the first time that I ever connected the digital community. It was kind of around the same emergent time of Twitter. And so there was a big community being built on Twitter in Edmonton, though, when Twitter used to be fun to use and you could meet great, interesting people. The connecting to the community in person was when I first really felt like, hey, this is kind of fun and neat. And now I look at what became the you know, event calendar and programming that populated Startup Edmonton then. And then it was just, it became not just an idea and programs, but it was real people in real places. That was how I interpreted and saw this emerging tech community develop. But of course, I think that would be insular. There was probably the same thing happening at the research park in uh, South Edmonton, probably for the last 25 years and maybe different business incubators as well. So, but that's, The one that I found, that was my first exposure to such a thing as a tech community. My experiences were probably not too dissimilar from Chris's in terms of about a decade ago. I think where things really pivoted in the community was there were platforms and events and physical spaces for people to get together, to build community, to learn from each other, to share what they're building and what they're working on. So things like Demo Camp. That period of time about when Startup Edmonton was founded and really started taking off that there was, I think, a real momentum to the community building side of things. You know, there's been a technology and innovation community in Edmonton in some shape or form for, you could argue, since Edmonton was founded. But I think about a decade ago, things really started taking off in terms of that community and different platforms for the community to come together, share and learn from each other. So when things are really taking off, like both of you described, what was it like to be in that community and energized by that and looking forward at how fast things were growing? There was a really interesting period around the time that Chris was serving as co-chair of Startup Edmonton's board. It would probably be five to seven years ago. And again, this is just my perspective and maybe Chris's experience is different, but there was such an energy in the city. It was around the time Vertical City, Poppy Barley, Jobber, Showbee, Samdesk, all of these companies start Drug Bank, then Omics. There was just a real energy, a real excitement. I remember very specifically there was Accelerate Alberta, which flips every year between Edmonton and Calgary. I want to say around 2015, I might be off by a year or two here. It was hosted in Edmonton, so folks from Calgary came up here to be a part of that. And I just remember hearing from so many of them, you know, commenting on 
the energy and sort of just electricity that was felt in our ecosystem at that time. And I think the momentum from that and lessons learned about what worked then, there's been a lot of reflection even over the last few years as there could be the argument made that things have slowed down a little bit, but sort of that was, in my experience, a time where things were you know, most interesting and in sort of a, a time capsule perspective. Yeah, I, I just can't disagree with that. I think there's been a marked change in the feeling around the energy uh, in the community right now, you know, notwithstanding the present day situation we have with COVID, but I think it's changed. Back then, I think a lot of it was a hub and everything that was kind of happening around, you know, again, I'd say like the demo camp, startup Edmonton, launch party, a number of the different things that were happening. It used to be as when it was a place or an event to go to see people and the community started to develop around it and people bump into each other and serendipity would uh, strike around an idea or whatever. And and there was a lot of energy there. And But I think there was also a different kind of leadership too that was distributed and it was more of a community-led endeavor. So, you know, some strong opinions on that. What it was was it wasn't an agency that was trying to promote a singular outcome. It was people just trying to help each other out. The programming that was being created, particularly by Startup Edmonton at the time, I think was uh, really helpful to get that energy level up. So, But it also was the emergence of things like Twitter. And there was a lot of emphasis around that at that time. Now we're, we're inundated by it. Maybe it's a time we'll never capture again, but I do think there was something special about that time. No, I would agree completely. And I think, you know, I, I spent some time before we sat down thinking about this. What I came down to is there was no one at that point of time that was trying to control anything. It was sort of a very expect nothing in return, whether you're giving someone advice on their pitch deck or, you know, building an event like Demo Camp, there wasn't sort of any expected return on investment. It was this very grassroots, altruistic sense of, you know, we want to build something great together and no one was trying to control it or insert hierarchy or define who the leaders were. And I think when I try to define sort of what the the magic or the secret sauce of that era is in an attempt to, you know, how can we insert that into what we're doing now? That's kind of what I come down to. Can you break down a little bit what you're referring to in terms of how things have changed, what you think about how things were a couple of years ago, a decade ago versus how they are now and what you mean specifically by how they were different? Sure. I can share a specific experience because, I mean, I was I was on the board of EDC when, when a lot of this emerged, which had, you know, much broader mandate. And then Startup Edmonton came along and and I was asked to co-chair with Brad Ferguson for the first year, at least the board of Startup Edmonton, you know, to create governance and to help that organization scale because it was doing some amazing things, but, you know, it was hitting barriers as well. And, and I guess the thing that I felt that occurred in that period of time was, you know, startup specifically, but the network of people that attended through Demo Camp and then all of the myriad of programs and events that were around it, things like you know, launch party or founders and funders events and stuff like that, or, you know, coding camps that they would host. It was done organically. I think as Ashlyn alluded to, there wasn't someone fighting to own it. It was really just about, hey, let's let's find a way to create this community. And and then we created a physical space in startup. And and then, boy, things got complicated because you had, you know, 12, 12 or 20,000 square foot of real estate. You know, you need to have insurance for that. And you needed to honor, uh, you know, banking or borrowing relationships and stuff. And, and so then we needed a board. And then 
then what happened was then it needed to start to fit into the ecosystem. As we got and went and asked for community funding from, I think the very first funding we received was a community foundation loan, which was excellent. That was perfect for exactly what I think that was intended to do. But then when we started to find we needed help going to agencies like EDC or Tech Edmonton to fit in with the Alberta framework for innovation, then they wanted us to be defined in terms of where we fit. And I think that we couldn't not partner with those organizations and cooperate with them for sure to help, you know, both receive their support, but also to make sure that there wasn't a bunch of overlap. But it started to mute some of its effectiveness because the grassroots community leadership and the barn raising that kind of felt like was happening lost some of its luster. And fast forward to my most recent time on Tech Edmonton's board and, you know, not to speak ill of that organization, but they have a very different mandate in terms of trying to commercialize research primarily coming out of the University of Alberta, very focused on patents and, and executives and residents that were supporting, you know, academics trying to commercialize their ideas and uh, very, very, very rigid processes around, you know, IP uh, security and a number of things. And so what what had happened was that I we kind of got boxed into where do we fit and to where we are today, which is, I, I think, in the new organization that Ashland's on the board of, I'm, I'm super excited to see how it emerges. But I do think we have just a significant confusion in the market about uh, the role of each of these organizations. And some of that took the life out of the entrepreneurialism or the barn raising spirit that existed with startup at the very start, rightly or wrongly. Ashlyn, did you want to add to that? Yeah, like th- that all is just exactly my thinking, my experience. Any organization, whether it's a nonprofit community organization like Start Edmonton or a for-profit company, which Chris and I have both had you know, experience in building, you run into the challenge of scaling and losing some of that scrappiness, that chaos, that magic of the early days when you're just trying to figure things out and it's messy, you know, trying to strike a balance between growth and building in process and risk mitigation and, you know, all of that stuff that, you know, it's not inherently bad, but it's hard to build and address some of those issues while still maintaining, you know, the the nimbleness and flexibility of, of what goes on in the early days. So I think what we see over the past five years is just growth of organizations like startup and then that trade-off between chaos and, and order and the impact that that has on community and, and what can be done and how the community is involved and interfaces with organizations like Startup Edmonton, EDC, Tech Edmonton, et cetera. I just want to say, like, I would suspect Ashlyn agrees, but certainly you don't have to, is that I think that we can replicate some of those things that were key ingredients to the success of that early energy in large organizations or in new organizations that we're going to hopefully design to solve, you know, or at least help us achieve the objective of the, the tech diversification and commercialization objectives for Edmonton. I think a lot of it can be replicated in new organizations. It's just really hard for organizations that have their own momentum and their own bylaws and rituals and history and empirical thinking to want to, you know, to let go. And we have a a unique opportunity to replicate something that we should say, well, what was really key back in the day for that organization to have that to be so successful in creating that energy? And, uh, And I suppose that's why wiping the slate clean and starting from scratch is a really healthy thing. 
I want to ask you more about that, that idea of whether it's getting back to where things were in terms of that magic or just getting a little bit of that chaos or scrappiness that you talk about back. Are things like Startup TNT helpful? Where does that play into things in terms of how you build those relationships in that community? Yeah, I think Startup TNT, and I listened to episode one, so it was really neat to hear the origins and intention of of building something like Startup TNT from the very beginning. I think where Startup TNT is an example, Ecos would be another example that kind of captures this core foundation of what it means is it's about community leadership, and it's about focusing on addressing gaps or problems that the community has articulated that they're experiencing. So Zach said in episode one, there wasn't really a ongoing social event where you could just come and it's inclusive and casual and anyone can show up and you can just, you know, meet friends and make new friends. And so they address that, that need came from the community. And when Startup TNT is measuring their success, they're not looking at what metrics are our funders, you know, needing us to hit? They're looking at, are we serving the needs of the community based on the problem that we initially identified? Does that problem still exist? Do we need to evolve based on new community problems or needs that are emerging? And I think that mentality of community leadership and servant leadership to the community is such a core aspect of what makes something in this ecosystem work. So when you mention the challenges or gaps that the community or sector is facing now, you talked about some of them. But when it comes to things like investors, are there enough? Are there investors that are willing to support local companies? What else are you thinking about in terms of what needs to happen? Yeah, I'll speak briefly to this and then would love to hear from Chris as he isn't an investor. Some listeners may be aware of, and if you're not, I think the report is is still available online, the Innovation Compass Report, which I think did as good of a job at articulating the current challenges of this community and the needs as we've seen in recent history. And what that report really zeroed in on is access to talent, capital, and mentorship, and how can community organizations who are meant to support the growth and health of this ecosystem help to provide those. So when someone does start a company or they're getting some early traction, they can get access to talent, capital, and mentorship to help them grow. The other half of that equation is giving entrepreneurs the incentive to not take the stable job with the nice salary and the pension and actually go down the road of entrepreneurship, which is, in my opinion, a much bigger question, a much more subtle and difficult problem to address. I can only add, and I, and I you know, I don't profess to be an expert in the, the science of this. And, you know, I, I was just purely an opportunistic entrepreneur. I, I think if I think back to the mandate of what Startup Edmonton was intending to do at the time, it was to give an opportunity for seed funding for people to take an idea. And originally those ideas were intended to be product-oriented ideas. So things that like software that you could export out of Edmonton and create an industry, you know, here. The key was access to fail fast level seed funding money. I've always believed that there's so much money out there if, in terms of people willing to invest in great ideas, but there has to be lots of ideas that start at step one and fail fast to get to, you know, 10 ideas that might be investable after a year. So a lot of emphasis on that. 
I think the mentorship, you know, the Ashton mentioned, there was a place that you could go to and there's programs that you could access for the advice of someone, you know, even at that time when we were supporting it, we were already a commercial successful business. So we were supporting, providing mentorship support, using our network to connect entrepreneurs to uh, the people that they needed to remove the barriers to either get their first customer or to get their first, you know, $50,000 or an advisor to sit on a product review or something like that. So, so I think it's that very, very, very early stage that I think the community can do well. And there are formal infrastructure organizations out there that are ready to line up and put money behind ideas to help them scale, you know, et cetera. So I think that's the one thing that I've always felt. And I also believe strongly in that it has to have a physical place behind it. I've just never felt that you could do it virtually, that there was a magic about going to a place and having parties there in, in the evenings for one type of audience and then and then using it as a classroom for others. And the one thing that's so intangible and so expensive and so hard to get right is the community itself has to be livable. Like, I mean, we have to focus on making the place so exceptionally good to live in that you can keep knowledge economy talent and they want to stay here and they want to collaborate here. And, and that's a bigger issue, but doesn't get talked about a lot. But I think it's a very key ingredient. There's a reason why Silicon Valley or Toronto or Vancouver or some of these markets get talked a lot about. And I think it's because they're desirable places where people want to live. In the last episode, Zach and Karen talked about companies being excited about Edmonton and wanting to move here to grow their companies here. Do you think that we're doing a good enough job of attracting that talent that you're talking about? I don't, but, you know, of course, I'm sure that's a very personal opinion. I'm very proud of this city. I love it. But uh, I, I certainly feel like there's a lot more that we can do. You do choose to invest in here, right? Like you've built and sold companies. Now you are an investor in that life cycle in terms of reinvesting in Edmonton and Edmonton companies. Why choose to invest in Edmonton and, and why is it important to do that here? Well, I think like a lot of People that are Edmontonians, it is our home, it is our place, and so we'll do whatever we can to both stay here and support the vibrancy of this place. But in relative terms, when I was running Yardstick directly and trying to attract talent, we had an office in Toronto, Ottawa, Calgary, Edmonton. I was never once successful in attracting any of our senior executives that would have been really helpful to have them here at Edmonton with our, you know, our leadership team to want to move to Edmonton. So that's the ever story of Edmonton's brand. And, uh, you know, I, I, we can't solve it in, in one conversation, but it's work that needs to continue to always be done. So we keep moving the line. Yeah, I would echo that. We have the same issue at Samdesk around. We have a team in London and we just hired a executive who's based in Toronto and no interest in anything but a visit. And, you know, it is always interesting bringing people here, whether if it's to try to recruit them or, you know, just a, a visiting member of the team to show them around. And to be frank, it's not always a great experience. I love Edmonton and I'm happy to be here. I have no plans to leave, but that is a struggle that we run into as we look to build our team and grow. How does Edmonton factor into that and how do we want to try to make that an advantage and not a disadvantage? And I, and I think, it, you know, to add to that, that's why so much emphasis should be on the talent that is here should get the support that they need to create their idea or to start their idea. So if it's talent coming from the university or from Nate or, you know, a high school dropout, they want to build a mobile phone app. I think it's that very, very early stage. Uh, instead of trying to attract 
know, senior product managers out of Silicon Valley to come to Edmonton. I think that's a fool's errand, frankly, and that's not what we need to do to be successful. We need to find those new entrepreneurs and support them and let their idea uh, expand from here. And, and then eventually, maybe it'll be like a lot of Edmonton entities where the head office is here, but you have other offices that do different functions based on wherever that talent exists. When you talk about attracting people to Edmonton, whether it's to have your head office here or to actually get other Edmontonians involved in the community, do you think that the community is welcoming enough as we grow it further? And how could the sector do better at getting other people involved? Well, I personally think it is. And I think that's one of the great misunderstandings about Edmonton. And so I lived in Toronto for two and a half years you know, just recently, and I and I worked out of our Toronto office there, and and obviously we have people on our team even still remotely that work for us in those markets. And this is an extraordinary community that's on every metric that's important to knowledge economy workers has all those amenities and embraces and accepts everything necessary to attract that kind of talent. But it's misunderstood that it doesn't have those things quite regularly. What about when it comes to diversity? Is it as accessible for? a woman of color, for example, to be interested in investing if she doesn't have any background in that. Or I heard from Zach and Karen in the last episode about how there were a lot of entrepreneurs who were both female or diverse, but not so much on the investor side. So what do you see in terms of that, Ashlyn? Yeah, I think, you know, listening to Zach and Karen, that's obviously a priority for them, especially on the investor side. I think it's, you know, really those individuals that are trying to break into the community, whether it's on the investor, the entrepreneur side, there's talent that's trying to come in. I think only they can say what their experience has been and how, what aspects of it may have been more challenging. I think building a community that is inclusive and open and welcome is one of those things that is never done. You can never say we've done it. We're diverse and inclusive and welcome. I think this is an example though, where organizations in the space that have resources and abilities to help the community to create opportunities and different inroads. And, you know, not everyone wants to attend an event where there's alcohol served, for example. So how can we encourage the organizations that have resources to be able to try different things and do different things to use them to address community issues such as, you know, a lack of accessibility or inclusiveness? You're listening to Igniting Innovation, the first series from Taproot Edmonton Presents. This podcast is just one of the many ways that Taproot pays attention to our city. For even more coverage of Edmonton's startup scene, subscribe to the Tech Roundup, curated by me. You'll get the latest headlines and happenings from Edmonton's tech community delivered to your inbox every Tuesday. Visit taprootedmonton.ca to join. And for another local podcast with its finger on the pulse of Edmonton, subscribe to Speaking Municipally, our weekly discussion of municipal politics. Find Speaking Municipally wherever you find your podcasts or at taprootedmonton.ca. And now, back to our show. Ashlyn, is there anything else you wanted to add in terms of diversity in particular? The only thing I would add, and I guess it's like a question for Chris, I'm taking over your job here, Emily. You know, if we think about, because you've had so much experience outside of Edmonton, my experience outside of Edmonton is pretty limited, but you know, your 
experience and that national or international perspective or our reputation, our brand internationally, like what can we do here to combat that? Because if that is the perception and if someone who just graduated from U of T, if they look at Edmonton and say, like for whatever list of reasons, that's not the place for me to go and start my career without getting them here, how can we combat that reputation? Or do you have any any ideas around that? We were starting along the path that we needed to in terms of community initiatives, community building, community storytelling, you know, the Make Something Edmonton initiative was in a sense trying to democratize Edmonton's story through the voice of people who are doing interesting things in Edmonton and startup Edmonton. It was all about it was really grassroots and community led. And I think that there's just little things along the way that make a difference in storytelling that say, yeah, Edmonton's actually way cooler and more progressive than we ever thought. And, you know, I use the word progressive, not in a political term, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, progressiveness is probably an attribute that's aligned to knowledge economy and tech economy, entrepreneurs and people that want to work in those spaces. It's just generally probably more prevalent in terms of a mindset. So I think we were on our way and I think we lose our way. And I think politics gets involved, partisan and nonpartisan politics, where everyone has a different belief in terms of what's the most important thing. But big, bold statements by our leaders, our civic leaders are important. Interesting livability initiatives are important. Things like bike lanes, I hate to say, because they're such polarizing politically, as that's crazy, but they are uh, gondolas and stuff like that, where it's just, hey, we want to think and act a little bit differently to create a really interesting livable community. That's investment that matters. And that's, I guess, the thing is that we have to somehow remove the politics of, oh, we need to build another trinket for the, you know, the hipsters of Edmonton. And we got to, we got to remove our thinking there and say, we need to create really livable communities that people are going to be less, you know, less interested in drivable amenities, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, And not look like it's one side versus the other side. It's just for communities to be competitive, they have to have these amenities and these assets and be highly livable if we want to attract that kind of talent. Chris, that's a bold move mentioning gondolas and planes <laughs> in the same in the same sentence, let alone podcast. We just get one, Chris. We well, I didn't one. say funicular, so uh, you know, I thought. I, uh... Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna press and now. When you talk about some of those things that need to change, and you think about the next couple of years, how do you think the sector is poised to grow? Yeah, I I have some thoughts based on what Chris just said too. Like, if we think about communities we've been a part of, whether that's through work, school, you know, career, whatever, I think what truly makes someone feel like a part of the community and an ingrained part of the community is when their perspectives and opinions and experiences are truly valued you're integrated into community, you are part of it. And I think what we need to keep in mind as we build out, whether it's new organizations like the new Innovate Edmonton or existing organizations like Startup Edmonton, Tech Edmonton, TNT, ERIN, as they evolve, as they should be constantly evolving and trying to get better, it is keeping in mind that the voice of the community and engaging the community and making community members feel like they are part of things and their opinions and perspectives and challenges are 
crucial is just going to strengthen the ecosystem and community as a whole, because then we're all in this together and voices matter. It's not just ideas or strategies coming from the top and things being very politicized. It's this grassroots swell of voices that essentially become the community that makes, I think, everyone feel engaged and involved and a core piece of this thing that exists that in the end of the day, we're all part of together. But the only way we're going to get where we can get or reach our potential is to really strengthen that fabric and those connections between individuals. What do you think, Chris? Is there anything you want to add there? I'll just be a bit more blunt. And that, and that I think that we are facing like a transformational economic time in terms of Edmonton's economy and Alberta's economy and structural changes in the demand curve around energy. And like it or not, we're going to be thrust into that time and it's going to create opportunities. It's going to create growth in different sectors, at least proportional to the sectors that we're in today. It may not be the world's most explosive growth, but it might be as a percentage of our growth, a lot more is going to have to come from value add services, knowledge economy, software, agritech, you know, green energy, whatever it might be. And so, so I'm optimistic that like it or not, we're about to go through this experience. And, you know, I think it's happening at an exponential rate. So I think we're not even gonna have time or the benefit to sit back and debate each other about if it's really going to happen or not. I think it's happening to us as we speak. So I think that's generally positive. And I think Edmontonian especially Edmontonians, but Albertans in general, I think are, you know, resilient and entrepreneurial and can come up with an idea out of a, a bunch of bad options and create something that's new and meaningful. So, so I, I think it's going to happen, but I also think that we need to have leadership and organizations, especially if I look at the ecosystem, quote unquote, for innovation in Alberta and Edmonton, particularly, which is where I care the most about is we have to let some of those organizations that exist in the past die or fail or get out of the way. And we have to let the new organizations that like Ashland's involved in have more freedom to respond to the future reality and not have to try to fit into an old reality. And in that includes, I think, giving more freedom to the community to run those organizations, the community being investor community, entrepreneur community, uh, students and uh, coders and not boards under bylaws that are responding to, you know, councils that they have their own momentums. And sometimes those momentums aren't necessarily all aligned to achieve the same outcomes. So, so I hope we have more freedom for our community to develop the solutions. And then I'm quite optimistic. And which organizations are you referring to when you talk about getting out of the way? <laughs> dying. <laughs> I, I think like, again, I, I don't want to be careful because I don't want to mention the wrong organizations, but you know, in the Edmonton ecosystem relative to this, there's Tech Edmonton. There was EEDC slash, I think it's Edmonton Innovates. You had Startup Edmonton. Uh, you have Western Diversification. You have Alberta Innovates. You know, I've probably missed five or 10. You have uh, incubators that exist. They all are providing various solutions to the different parts of the problem. But at the very base, there needs to be more community to create more entrepreneurs and give early support to people who have an idea and provide the mentorship, the space for them. And, you know, we need high-end help to help people who are trying to apply for a patent. If they've got some technology they want to get out of the University of Alberta, we absolutely need that. I'm not saying we don't, but 
we also need to create some buzz and energy at the lowest level to percolate up many ideas that are hopefully investable and some can commercialize and hire people. And next thing you know, it's the next great product. So you're saying, remember that the things are built from the ground up then? 100%. That like 30 second soundbite summed up so much of, I think, what we've been thinking about and working towards as a community and trying to send that message to our like, quote unquote, leaders and I, I only say quote unquote, because it's the community that should be leading. And I think just figuring out a way to flip that model on its head, it's a challenge. And I think there are some ecosystems out there that have figured out how to do that. It takes a certain humility from our our elected officials or our bureaucrats to be able to say, I don't know what's best here. I don't know what this community needs. I have to go and seek leadership and advice from those in the community to find out. I think that mindset, that mental shift is something we're hopefully in the middle of here. But in my opinion, that is going to be the key to this community's success. Thanks to Ashlyn and Chris for joining me. Zach, lots of thoughts about where the tech innovation sector has come from and where it's headed. What did you think about the episode? Is there anything you want to add, context? You know, they hit a lot of points right on the head in terms of what we need to do as an innovation ecosystem. And I'm a little bit newer to the ecosystem than the two of them. And so they told, they informed me a few stories about what things were like when Startup Edmonton first launched. And, you know, one word really stuck out at me that Chris mentioned, barn raising. He's like, we used to do all these barn raising activities. You know, it was like the entrepreneurs, the leaders, we were getting together, we were doing the things. And, you know, it feels like we don't do that anymore. And, you know, that really resonates with me. I think that's exactly what we need to be doing as a community. We need to be doing that barn raising. And I hope that Startup TNT is helping to do some of that startup barn raising among the community, uh, having fun, getting together, doing things like that. You know, the other thing that stuck out is that Ashlyn mentioned, you know, a few years ago, I think she said 2015, people were like checking out Accelerate Alberta. They were checking out these companies called Omex or DriveWise or Jobber or Poppy Barley. And they were like, hey, I think we got some potential here. And then like time goes by and people are thinking, oh, our community, like two years ago, it's like, oh, our community is really not doing very well. You know, we got too many bureaucrats. We got too much of this. We got too much of that. But you know what? Today, DriveWise just raised $60 million. That company, Omex, uh, was founded by two guys that decided to pivot into a little company called Drug Bank that just won the Startup Team Investment Summit in February and raised over a million dollars. And Jobber is, you know, one of the fastest growth companies in all of Canada. So I'm reading this great book right now called The Startup Community Way, which actually gives a philosophical framework for everything that they're talking about, where the entrepreneurs need to lead, the startup community can't be controlled through hierarchies. You know, I encourage people that want to be part of the startup community to read that book. It, you know, it really puts some perspective into what the two of them are talking about and what we need to do as an ecosystem. So, I feel like I'm learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> as someone who who isn't part of this world, I think it's so fascinating to hear about where this sector has come from and what you know, how intertwined it really is in some ways, but also how you and Ashlyn and, and Chris and like so many people have been invested in it now or at different points in time and where we are now and where it's headed. I think it's an exciting time. 
So next week, we'll be back with Jalene Anderson Barron and Leji Gafur of Future Fields. So Future Fields actually raised $60,000 at the first Startup TNT Investment Summit earlier this year. What can you tell us about that, Zach? You know what? I'm very biased here. I love Future Fields. I love what they're doing. <laughs> Leji Gafur and uh, Matt Anderson Barron and his wife, Jalene, were all good friends. And they founded this company a few years ago. And I actually remember there was an article in the journal about them when they were first starting off. And you know they're in the cellular agriculture space, which means they're basically growing meat in a Petri dish for consumption by humans. And I remember reading that thinking, ah, these guys are bold and this is probably never going to work, but that's pretty awesome that they're doing this. And I have a background in chemical engineering. I had just come back from MIT where I had been for two months just visiting and doing some research and actually met some investors that were investing in this type of space. And I was like, that's cool that these guys are doing this in Edmonton, but I'm sure it's never going to work here. Lo and behold, a couple of years goes by, Matt and Leggy and Jalene are crushing it. And they participated in our investment summit in February. They'd already been accepted into one of the preeminent accelerators in the alternative meat space out of Singapore. They raised $60,000 with us. Everybody was super impressed with this team. They're very well prepared. They're very well organized. They've got an awesome business model too. Like They're not just growing meat in a petri dish. They are designing a better way to produce the growth media that all the meat companies need. So while the traditional company in this space is like trying to figure out how to grow meat in a petri dish and sell it, and they've got like a five or 10 year timeline, Future Fields is landing contracts today to do R&D for those companies and design them custom growth medias. Like it's a brilliant strategy. They can get to revenue right away. It's very entrepreneurial minded strategy. And it's also one that thinks really, really big. Wow. Well, after that, I'm looking forward to talking to them even more than I already was. So I yeah, look forward to hearing what they have in the works and what they've done since the summit earlier this year. So you can catch a new episode of Igniting Innovation every Wednesday until the end of November. And if you're enjoying these episodes, make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Emily Rundell Watson. And I'm Zach Storms. Startup cheerleader for the Edmonton ecosystem. And this is Taproot Edmonton Presents Igniting Innovation.